back to another episode of the Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy Bowfinger. One minute of screen time per episode. Today we're here to talk about Minute 6 of Bowfinger. Most of us are from the Movies by Minute podcast that talks about Edge of Tomorrow, the 2014 Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, Doug Liman-directed time-loopy war homage to aliens. I don't know. It's a movie. They they do stuff. You've seen it Uh, or not, whatever. You might also know it as live, die, repeat. But yeah, I'm one of those people. I'm Dave Forsyth. I'm I'm the host of that podcast. I'm the other one, Todd Lucas. And we have one of our guests from that show, friend of the pod, if I can say that, (laughs) Uh, John Williams. I was known as a hanger on. Hangers Uh. hangers on. He's one of many hangers on. Oh, Um, yeah. So we have so many. Yeah. It's it's our good buddy, Johnny. We brought him in to talk about Bowfinger with us because he was. Well, I mean, I should probably let you talk about your history of the movie, but I'll let you talk about you, your history of the movie first, because my history of the movie is tied up in your history of the movie. So what when, when did you first become aware of Bowfinger and when did you first see it? How did how did your life change at that moment? I think that uh, I, th- I think that after I saw it, my my life uh, changed completely. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I went from uh, you know just a regular person doing doing regular things yeah. to a new man. Uh, I believe I saw this movie in the theater. Uh, you okay, have to correct me if I'm wrong about that. Did we see this movie together? We did not. No, we didn't. No. Yeah, I don't, Dave. I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't re- recall the circumstances of okay, the first time right. you saw this movie. Maybe not the first time you saw it, but maybe the first time you remember. Like, what, what are your earliest memories of Bowfinger? Uh, I remember that uh, it's it's uh, Steve Martin, obviously. Yeah, I yeah, also clearly. remember that. You know what I remember is uh, who is the the uh, star Starlet, the, uh, the actress, the lead actress, not not Christine Baranski, who I believe we'll see in this. Uh, in the second, in in the uh, in episode seven, but well, we see her in six. But let's. Do we? Okay. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But who is the? Who, what is the name of the actress? She was in Boogie Nights. Heather Grant. Yes. 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 Do you? I mean, I I don't want to spoil. I don't want to step on anybody else's minute. But I believe that in this movie she plays Anne Heche, uh the recently deceased uh, Anne Heche. Okay, could be. Yeah, because there was. Was there a Steve Martin and Hayes connection, I or there was so. just okay? I, 
see i don't i don't know all the all the hollywood insider backstory like you do so but yeah i think i i think i had heard that rumor is that that she is loosely based i mean obviously this whole movie is parody and loosely based on facts and reality but yeah there's some well, like you said, we'll leave that for for other people's minutes. But yeah, she is. Uh, yes, I, I think I knew that. So, well, I, I'll tell you the only the first time I heard about this movie was from you. And you had told me that you enjoyed it quite a bit and that it was very, very funny. And then I watched it and I was like, eh, OK, it was it was kind of funny. I, and I didn't I didn't really get it. Right. Like I it, it wasn't something that I put on any sort of list. But I'm, I know I've revisited it several times over the years as it you know comes on cable and you're feeling lazy on a Saturday afternoon and USA is the only channel you're getting that day or whatever. I don't know, but I, you know, I, I've seen it and, and I know it's funny and I appreciate bits of it. And I'm, I'm glad that we got the chance to revisit it here and, and kind of give it a little deeper critique while I'm more of an adult, I suppose. <laughs> when did this movie come out? 1999. I wonder if, uh, Oh, you know what? This this would have been after the after I lived in uh, Los Angeles myself. I lived there br- very briefly. Yeah, so it could have been that I recognized things that I saw when I lived out there. Could be. Maybe it stirred up a little something in you. Yes. But about being one of the little guys. Something exactly. Like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Todd, I imagine that your history with this movie is fairly short uh, yeah. because we've talked about it in the green room. Right. Yeah. A few weeks at most. Yeah. <laughs> we started <laughs> yeah. Uh, working on this project. So, yeah, I'd, I'd heard of it before. Um, I had a very distinct image in my head of the, the poster image for it. Cause, mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, I mean, just it had never come around as something I was able to just like, hey, I'm going to watch this today. Well, and you are. I remember you being a Steve Martin fan from back oh, in yeah. the day. I remember oh, us yeah. being big fans of uh, like Roxanne era. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, I found it weird. I mean, I, I didn't do any research before. I just, you know, went through the movie once, you know, got to watch right. it like as you know viewer first. Like like normal people do. Yeah. yeah. Like normal people do first. And then uh, I'm like, this had to be, you know, what, like two, three years after Roxanne. I'm like, no, oh, no, it's it's 13 years later. And it feels yeah. like it's just as old as Roxanne. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't help that Steve Martin has looked this age. Right. That's since, really true. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely yeah. true. His hair yeah. has been white since, oh, God. I mean, I, I, I've i seen some stuff, archival footage, where, you know, there's a little bit of, like, you know, pepper in his hair still. But yeah, yeah, yeah. There's very little of that. that. That's back when he was, like, what, 22, 23? Right. The old arrow through the head days. Yeah. He had some salt and pepper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I... It, it, it does put him a little out of time. And then, you know, this movie being a Frank Oz movie, it, it has it has sort of a dated feel to it because of that. Well, and also probably the, the topic, right? It's sort of a, a glossy, even though it's a parody, it's a it's a warm, glossy parody of Hollywood. So it's trying to be evocative of a lot of things. And yeah, I was just wondering the whole time I watched it the first time, is, like, is this supposed to be mimicking the eighties? I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, but then there's obvious things that, you know, existed in the nineties, you know, they, they wouldn't have, you know, there's certain cars, but you, you have to look hard to see them. We, we do get the credits rolling through this minute that this was written by Steve Martin from, from what I've read about it. It, it really was sort of fully formed by him. So this is, you know, this is probably a story that had been brewing of his, you know, maybe not his direct personal experiences, but some Hollywood interactions he'd had and, and he'd been there for a while already. So, you know, these are probably historical things that are sort of 
being written into into this. There, there are modern bits of this story too, but it, 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 this I think there is some. I don't want to call it a period piece, but like <laughs> w- whatever it is, when when you make a a p- piece about the immediate past, right? Right. Yeah, and it's it it, it yeah it definitely had me fooled until you know I, I got through yeah. it the first time and started looking into it. I'm yeah. like ninety nine. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, this was movie was immediately preceded by the out of towners, right? Yeah. Which was sort of his Goldie Hawn era. I think he did a couple of movies with her mm. sort of in, in quick succession. And uh, this was, this is kind of a, a weird movie for immediately preceded by out of towners for Steve Martin. So that, but like you said, 13 years after Roxanne, right. For Eddie Murphy, this was sort of in his like fourth wave of Eddie Murphy, right? You, you had the, right. The SNL stuff, the stand-up specials that I remember him from, the mm-hmm. Delirious and Raw, I think was the other one. Raw, yeah. Yep. And then, and then into his early movie stuff, like Forty Eight Hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop. Sure. And then this is sort of the family-friendly comedy era. Yeah. This is right after Doctor Doolittle, in between the Nutty Professors, right? So he's right. doing all those movies where he plays multiple characters, wearing a fat suit, and in in uh, in some of them, and you know, it's. Uh, it's a distinctly different wave for him. And this is immediately prior to the Shrek era, nice. which seems seems to have gone on for quite a long time. Right. So um, I I don't have kids, so I, I didn't realize how much Shrek material there is out there. But there's quite a bit. Yeah. It, it, it's where, where does where does Pluto where does Pluto Nash fit in fit into that? I feel mm. like Pluto Nash is like a like a cash in like, yeah, you know, I've 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 gotten some fame. I, I can I can put put uh, rears in seats. Um, so, so I'm going to cash in on that and people are going to pay me, pay me some money for oh, that. Oh, sure. Yeah. He's had lots of roles where he's just, you know, walked through, I mean, like, uh, the golden child, which I watched oh, yeah. again very recently. And I was like, it's not as good as I remember, but I still enjoyed it. Even though it's obvious he just walked in and he was Eddie Murphy from here to there to his paycheck. Right. <laughs> yeah. Pluto Nash was just a couple of years after this. It was 2002. Okay. Hmm. You know, when, when I think about this era of Eddie Murphy, this isn't my era of Eddie Murphy, right? Like these weren't movies that I was um, watching the, the you know, the Shreks, your your Doolittles, your Professors, your Clumps. Was there a Clumps? Yeah, the Clumps, I think yeah. it was that, him. That's, that's Nutty Professor though, right? That's, that is Nutty Professor? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't really watch those. So I, to me, that feels like down era Eddie Murphy, but only because... <laughs> Probably because I wasn't paying attention. He, I, they wouldn't keep making those movies if he wasn't making a lot right. of money. So yeah, I mean, Pluto Nash could have could have been. Yeah, you grew up, but his market pretty much stayed in the same spot for a very long time. There, <laughs> true, true. So, so you know what they say about Eddie Murphy? Is I uh, keep getting older, he stays the same. No, wait, no, something no. else. They say no. uh, if you don't like it, just wait a few minutes; it'll change. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right, all right. Well, we should probably get into minute six proper. Feel free to talk about the movie in general at any point. I'm not. I'm not one of those uh, draconian podcast hosts who limits you exclusively to the one minute, but we'll we can we'll kind of follow back around to our feelings after we've talked about the whole chunk of minutes here. We're, by the way, we're here all week, right? We're here from yeah. minute six through minute ten. Today's Monday, allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we'll be here with you through Friday, allegedly. In the first couple seconds of the minute, we do see the names scroll by. We see Brian Grazer, the producer who had worked already with Steve and and Eddie on several of the movies that we've that we talked about. Lots and lots of credits for Brian Grazer. This movie was written by Steve Martin. He's he's been in lots of movies. He's got screenwriting credits on a lot of movies as well, uh, but the, only a few of them are written by Steve Martin. The distinction in my mind is he 
concepted this whole thing the whole way through and, and wrote the whole thing. And, uh, you know, I don't know the technical differences between screenwriter and written by and whatever, but that's, I sort of view this as more his baby. Um, I think when, when the, the, the story credits, when he gets stuff like that, then because he ad libbed to a significant degree to where, oh, you know, sure. like, as, you know, a certain percentage of the script no longer follows what the movie turned out to be. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. So someone else wrote it and then he just, yes, and did <laughs> as some, Good comedians do, right? Yep. And then directed by Frank Oz. I don't know what to say about Frank Oz. I mean, if you don't know him from Muppets and Star Wars, then I, I'm not sure why you're listening to podcasts about movies. It's interesting because that's that's where you do know him. But what else has he directed? Lots of things. But let me let me pull up a list here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got lots of credits for for Muppet stuff, especially right around this. Some of it's TV stuff. Um, this, believe it or not, was the same year as. The first of the prequels, Star Wars prequels, prequels, I think. Mm, yeah. So like those credits for him go on on the same uh, line. It's uh, <laughs> it's kind of weird to, to see that to because to, this feels very old. Well, I mean, that kind of feels old now, too. But what about Bob in 91 house huh. sitter in 92? Uh. So so another Steve Martin uh, joint, if you will. Yeah. Goldie Hall and Steve Martin, like we talked about earlier. Indian in the cupboard in 95 in and out in 97 was right before. Bowfinger. I have memory of that as being a good movie, but I did see it recently and it does not hold up so well. Be, because because why? It's it's uh, you remember it more fondly. Uh, and, and when you when you watch it with a more critical eye, it, it doesn't hold up or because uh, it's uh, anachronistic. A little of both, but more the latter. OK. Yeah, it, it definitely. At the, I think at the time it felt novel because of the topics it was touching on. And now you watch them touch those topics and you're like, hey. it's funny. I remember watching that movie and being really surprised that that he actually was gay in the movie because it's, it's really is, is like a movie where it's like, hey, middle America, you don't have to worry <laughs> if people are gay. Yeah. And yeah. I was as but but I didn't. I didn't know that going in, so I was surprised watching it. I thought, I thought for sure. I just assumed, oh well, eventually he'll realize he's not gay. Yeah, right. And uh, immediately after Bowfinger, he directed the score, which is a decent heist movie with Ed Norton and Bobby De Niro. So there you go. Okay, that's the Frank Oz credits. I mean, they go on. You know, he has many others, but that's sort of the contemporaries of, of Bowfinger. But he's not a flashy. He's not a flashy guy. He's a definitely a not workmanlike. Yeah. I, I think he directs a movie like he's telling a joke, right? It's like set up punchline, set up punchline, set up punchline, and just kind of like moves through the movie. Yeah, I, I think Workman is good. Uh, I think he made movie studios plenty of money. You know, this this movie made money in Hollywood dollars. It, it was like, I think it was 40 million-ish to make and grossed about 98, I think, uh, when I looked it up. So, you know, this this movie made money. That's all you got to do to keep your job. <laughs> yeah, right. So and lots of these other movies that, that we talked about, I'm sure did as well. Once the credits roll, we get Steve Martin hanging up his speakerphone, playing the character of Bowfinger, the titular character of Bowfinger. He's clearly not feeling great about the string of conversations he, he had. Right? We just saw him in the previous minutes running down a, a list of people like be here at 10 a.m., be here at 10 a.m., give me the car at 10 a.m. So he's, he's clearly putting plans into motion and he's... Uh, he, he, it seems like he's not convinced. He's not as convinced as the face he was putting on in those calls. Right. Right. He's obviously got something in his mind, but he's, he's about 98% sure that it's, it's just BS. 
and he's trying to figure out how he's gonna <laughs> make that turn into something real yeah and you know he does sort of play a I mean, this whole movie is sort of a con, right? But right. He shows different levels of believing in it or succumbing to it. You know, like he kind of moves in and out of of uh, how much he is being conned by his own con. Right. Right. And since he hasn't really fired it up yet, this is like probably his low moment early on. Yeah. Yeah. So re reality is still hovering around him before he kicks it all into high con gear. Right. <laughs> but he, he leans back in his creaky wooden desk chair. Uh, he's thinking about things and he looks over at Betsy the dog. She picks up, picks up her head and he asks her, you believe in me, don't you, Betsy? And it turns out she doesn't because she just makes a little woof, stands up and her dog tags jingling, walks out of the room as Johnny Adams is at Johnny Adams pleads on the soundtrack uh, a little on the nose, if you ask me, mm -hmm. but he says, please don't walk away as right. The dog is walking away. I, I caught that. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. And that was the moment when I really realized this movie is going to be completely full of music. Everything's going to be there. There's there's going to be uh, uh, an antique pop tune going for everything. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of bluesy white guy music. But yeah. It's not exclusively white guys, but it's like. But yeah, you know, it, it's decades yeah. previous to what's going on. So you, you can yeah, I, right. I always felt that it was giving us a, a, a Bowfinger's frame of reference. He still feels that oh, he's sure. a young man playing this game. Well, this is his music and it's obviously not current. So the music continues as the dog walks away. Uh, and Johnny reminds us that there's always one more time mm -hmm. as the camera lingers a bit longer um, on Steve before he, he looks a little dejected. And then we sort of crossfade out. Fade, the fade back in is to a sort of classic L.A. styled building in what appears to be kind of a rundown area. Right. It, it looks like it's the only standing structure on a block with a lot of empty lots, like maybe they're parking lots or, you know, working lots for I can't imagine those are movie lots, but maybe that's what they're trying to make us think. Or maybe it's a commuter lot or something. <laughs> I mean, it is Could L.A. Be, yeah. So. The, the building and the neighborhood have seen better days. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's there's someone pushing a cart down the street. Looks like they stopped to, to see to uh, look at like a pile of debris. You know, it's 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 got that classic sort of here's this nice building, nice ish building in a uh, area with lots of vagrants kind of feel to it. If if you look up this this building, though, today, uh, I mean, it is in Hollywood and it's still stands but it is surrounded by five to 10 story high rises, like all the way around. It's, it's, it's kind of on a little J street, you know, we'll, we'll see the FedEx truck come down it later, but it's, um, it, 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 it's totally surrounded. It doesn't look like this anymore. Everything. Like if you do a, a street view of it, you, you won't see any, any open spots except for the parking lot for the like tax place next door. So, hmm. but it, it currently houses maybe a few different businesses, but there is a, Starlight Crystal Shop there, and uh, there's a tax prep shop, like I mentioned, and the Fonda Theater is around the corner. But it is in Hollywood and 1621 Vista Del Mar Avenue. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the building itself extends pretty far back under some trees. Uh, it's bigger than it looks at first. Uh, the facade definitely looks run down and in need of a power wash. Driveway is cracked and crumbling. The landscaping is more dense than it seems like the neighborhood would allow. And it's definitely in better shape than the building, right? There's some greenery hanging out around this building that I don't think has anything to do with the plot. It just maybe happened to be there. But um, it says it says Bowfinger International Pictures or something like that on the in faded letters above the 
I guess we call it an awning. I don't know. The archway above the door. A small round patio space with a, a crooked stripy umbrella on a picnic table. It's to the left of the door. And a, a bicycle is leaning into the bushes on the right. It looks sort of abandoned. <laughs> but there's an old van in the driveway uh, with a wooden rack on the roof. It's clearly a working van of some type. Maybe maybe even a camper. I don't know. It kind of looks like a looks like a 70s consumer van yes. almost. It was converted into a into a work truck. Yeah, it's definitely from the 70s. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can tell by that round bubble window in, in the back, uh, mm-hmm. the back end of it, that you'd, you'd think a, a work truck would have less glass than than, than this uh, in it. But right, and then parked in front at the curb is a 1973 Buick Riviera. It's a silver long ass coupe, vinyl covered hardtop. So it's uh, you know it looks like it might have been a convertible, but it, it's not. It's just one of those things they did where they put vinyl on top of the the hard roof of, of cars back then. Hmm. The most notable feature of this vintage of Riviera is the big V-shaped rear window, known colloquially as the boat tail. Mm. <laughs> sort of a convex angular hump that extends from the like the outer edges of the back window line to a point just past the trunk. Like it actually just has out. A, a point. Yeah, it's like a point that sticks out in the middle of the of the trunk. Nice. It is sort of continuing that line. Difficult piece of glass to repair if, if you have to. Um, let, let me put you on the spot, Dave. Do you yeah. would do you have an approximate year of this uh, of this model? Yeah, uh, this is most likely a '73 uh, because of the federally mandated safety bumper. So it, it has the safety bumper, which would have been like '73, '74, and the boat tail was '73 was the last year for the boat tail. So it's probably a '73, according to the Internet Movie Cars database. This is not my area of expertise. I'm just relaying <laughs> internet information to you like every good podcast does. Johnny, I, I seem to remember that you and your family had a string of Buicks from this vintage as we were all sort of coming up, maybe a little bit later vintage, uh, honestly, but I had, I, I drove a, well, I, it was a, a hand-me-down from my parents. I drove okay. a Buick, a Buick Riviera. I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, from, uh, or was it a Buick Regal? It was a Regal. This might have been a Regal. But anyway, yeah. it was uh, that was that was an '83, so it was much much smaller than uh, than the Riviera in, in much the, squarer. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I might just be saying this because I drove it, but I felt like it was it was a little bit sportier. This this was <laughs> uh, the the car that came subsequent to the I drove a uh, 1979 Delta 88, which mm. I think is 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 more similar to to yeah yeah where it's where it's gigantic and Buick Regal was 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 much more compact. I think the Regal yeah. was. I think the Regal that I drove was a uh, was a two door as well, where the where the uh, Delta eighty eight, the Oldsmobile Delta eighty eight, was a four door. What did yeah. you, Dave? You had a a real old. Yeah, I had a seventy eight Mercury Marquis at one point. That was a four door too, right? That was a four door battleship. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was big, big, long. It had what we referred to as a six body trunk, uh, meaning that you could <laughs> fit six bodies into the trunk. And uh, it had power, everything, but none of it worked. So you mm. like get up to the toll booth and you have to open the door to throw your money in because the windows don't go down. Uh, you can only listen to a couple stations because the power antenna didn't go up. Stuff like that. Yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, agreed. We cut to an interior shot and there we see three as of yet unnamed characters split up between a small sofa and a sort of a large puffy leather chair all around a coffee table. Some trade newspapers. Looks like there's a variety type magazine there. And it looks like one of those letter sized appointment books kind of sitting on the on the table. If you were a careful watcher of, a, of this movie, say one minute at a time, you might know who these characters are because these are the, some of the people that, that Bowfinger was calling in the in the previous minutes. So we we have uh, a well-dressed 
uh, black gentleman in a casual gray suit with a bow tie. That's Ephraim. Uh, and then sitting, he's sitting up straight on the edge of the sofa and he, he sports a nice neat goatee. Uh, the woman next to him looks a lot like Christine Baranski uh, because it's Christine Baranski. <laughs> She's dressed in a, in a sort of mom who's trying to cultivate a slightly boho look, sort of warm earth tones, a long skirt and scarf uh, and uh, a big strand of beads around her neck. And then the guy in the leather chair is very casual. He's dressed like an extra in swingers, which, you know, wouldn't come out for a few years still, but holds the same aesthetic, I think. did Was there a sort of a swingers aesthetic of things when you were in Los Angeles, Johnny? Or was it were you before that? I think I was before that. I will say that that is not something that I noticed. So it felt to me like that lingered, but, uh, you know, I, I never lived there. So the, the um, I mean, swing dancing was a thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and that sort of uh, that sort of uh, renaissance, that, sw- that swing, that swing music renaissance, I think was coming, I think was was coming as I was leaving. I think is, is okay. when it when it when it I mean, I'd need to, you know, obviously, if, if we looked at an almanac, I'd feel a lot better. But <laughs> sure. I think it was hitting right as I was leaving. Yeah. All right. Alternately, I think maybe this guy kind of looks like he uh, watched Northern Exposure and saw the mm-hmm. DJ and was like, I like that look and, and kind of went with it. Uh, but he's leaned back in the chair with he's in the big puffy leather chair and he's got one foot up on the coffee table. And the, the three of them are paying attention to the same thing that's that's near the camera. It's most likely Bowfinger because, you know, we'll start hearing him in VO. Uh, he says, first of all, thank you for coming. And we see the, the reverse shot. It decidedly is Bowfinger. Um, and he's in a different wardrobe than he was wearing the night before, which was sort of a very lazy Hawaiian shirt kind of look. Uh, now he's got on this sort of mustard pumpkin-y shirt, black khakis, wide tie, diagonal stripes. He's got the script in one hand uh, from that he'd been excited about the other night. He said, now I know things have been a little slow. Christine Baranski or, or Carol uh, says, very slow. And Slater says, slow and low. We, we sort of know that these people have history with him and they're not enamored with him, let's say. Yeah. Like, curious enough to show up but don't trust much yeah they're not expecting anything today other than another probably they, they, they probably lived through some smaller cons in the past here sure they, they they seem somewhat frustrated i do have a question what what is what does it mean slow and low <laughs> well i mean that's how you would cook a pork butt if you wanted to make pulled pork <laughs> slow and low um but yeah, as in, in terms of like a, a financial or, you know, movie making description, I, I couldn't say. I get the feeling that Slater is a, a little slow himself and he's just parroting phrases off of, you know, whatever he's been watching. And, you know, slow and low is a real cliche kind of thing to say. Is that a run DMC? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it could be that. Sure, uh, yeah. He's just taking everything out of context. So, you know, my son, he's autistic. And if you were to say something like slow, very slow, then he would probably go say slow and low because he's just taking the word slow. And it's like, what else do I have ever heard that does that, even though he doesn't understand what you're talking about and he doesn't know what he's saying back to you. (laughs) He's just parsing the words as sounds. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I didn't they they don't paint Slater as the brightest bulb in this uh, in this crew throughout the movie. But I, yeah, I just sort of took it as his maybe California isms that um, mm. me, a serial Midwesterner doesn't doesn't really get. I don't think that's uh, yeah, I don't think there's any culture involved there that we don't All right. get. <laughs> All right. That's that is a an uncommon phrase, let's say. But Bowfinger does have one defender here. It's the gentleman in the bow tie, Ephraim and and. I would just like to thank Steve Martin for spelling the character's name 
the way he does, A-F-R-I-M, uh, because no, uh, my ability to type that into a modern spell checking device is is uh, impeded by the word affirm all the time. Affirm. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah, I saw that a couple times. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, but affirm, as I have it written here, Ephraim, as the character is known, uh, says, let him speak. And he's got a bit of an accent and he does some some hand gestures. Bowfinger moves in a bit closer and he's, he sort of loosens his posture a little bit, right? He, I'm not sure when he's moving in and out of character throughout the speech, but it's definitely sort of a, a planned speech. But he says to them, we're not the big guys, we're the little guys. And and then the minute ends. So minute six ends on some little guys, I guess. <laughs> That's his entire living room, yes. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, so yeah, the, the, we have, I guess, the beginnings of the... I don't want to call it a scam. I don't. I don't want to keep calling it a scam or a con, even though that's you know sort of what it turns into in in the movie because there is a lot of earnestness to it. But this is sort of the sure. beginning, the beginning of the the machinations here. So it's it's a fantasy. It's a very Hollywood style fantasy, not the sure. kinds that they produce, but the kinds they tell themselves trying to get <laughs> movies made. So sure, I, Todd, I think that's the key. I feel like you kind of alluded to this before this, this idea of how much does he believe the things that he's selling right. or the things that he's saying? Yeah. And I think that's a real good question to ask in, in, at any point in this movie. Right. Cause it's variable. See right here, you could tell that he, before they showed up, he probably talked himself into something Yeah. like, okay. So my speech that I was thinking about last night, I'm going to scrap that. I got, I'm going to have to tug at their heartstrings and we're going to have to have some solidarity. I think maybe you're right about it. Not being that, he, that he believes it, but, but that he hopes it, right? Like yeah. he, he's, he's got a lot of hope for, for this plan. Yeah. And for, for such a, basically dishonest individual he has a yeah. lot of optimism yeah you know yeah. yeah and he's able to convince himself of things just as easily as other people i suppose maybe more easily yeah he may be more gullible than these guys are <laughs> yeah. even yeah. though he's the one yeah. that's spewing it yeah yeah that's what makes him a movie producer instead of a con artist yeah right. <laughs> exactly right. i mean yeah that's why you don't really you don't have to call it a con you could just call it a production so <laughs> yeah right Right, because he's not. Although I think the on the movie poster it says I th I think I mean you, you I might be misremembering, but I thought it said the con is on. Yeah, I, so. I, I believe that's the the where I sort of latched onto the term con was from was from that. So, but I mean he is earnestly trying to make a movie. So it's in in that respect I would say it is not a con. He's trying not trying to steal money from anybody. He's putting in his own scratch and he's just sort of deluded about how much he'd be able to accomplish. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure where the, you know, I think it's black boxed here where he thinks that he's going to be able to steal someone else's acting labor in air yeah. quotes yeah. the way he's planning to. But, uh, you know, it doesn't seem a whole lot different than some actual tactics that I've seen perpetrated <laughs> on things that have been published. So sure. Sure. All right. Well, let's wrap it up here for six. We'll, um, continue all this great discussion throughout the week and if you're here for the minutiae of the movie you know maybe skip to next week we're more about our thoughts and feelings here we're, we're a very um, touchy-feely podcast and you know if you like to touch and feel podcasts you should head over to edgeoftomorrowminute.com where you can find all of the past and future episodes yeah we're still making episodes we it's right. like one a week so if you're in for a touchy feely slow-paced podcast go on over there and we'll we'll we'll, we'll guide you through the to your feelings about uh, I, I don't know we, we we do kind of this for for that um, yeah. <laughs> go go over there and check that out you can find the bowfinger minute podcast on 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or at its own website, thebowfingerminute.com. If you have time, and only if you have time, please like and subscribe and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Social media is available at Welcome to Mindhead, the Bowfinger Minute Listeners Center on Facebook, and on Twitter at Bowfinger Minute. Please join us here next time on The Bowfinger Minute. In the meantime, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. children I hope that we'll see you again cause there's always one more Sure. One more show.